I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading a familiar account of Jesus' birth from the perspective of Joseph that Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Let us give heed now to the reading of God's Word. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as as he considered these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive And bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would you, they be pleasing in your sight? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The recurring theme, we've been looking at the book of, the, of Daniel over these last several months. And the recurring theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereign rule of God over all things. His faithfulness to his covenant promises and his redemptive purposes for his people, both in judgment as well as in deliverance. And if you've been with us in that study repeatedly, both in the life of Daniel and his people in exile in Babylon, as well as through the the various visions that were given to Daniel by God, God is seen intervening from heaven to carry out his sovereign purpose of redemption and and, and, and the rule of his kingdom, overthrowing all opposition And bringing in, ultimately, his eternal dominion and righteous reign. And throughout the book of Daniel, we we were given prophetic glimpses of the instrument of God's deliverance of his people. And the establishment of his kingdom by a particular agent, a particular figure. And so you may remember the the stone cut without human hands in chapter 2. Or or the one like a a son of the gods who was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or, or the anointed one that we, we looked out last week in Daniel's vision in chapter 9 that will be cut off in troubled times but will make a strong covenant with his people to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness. All of these to some degree find a, a point of reference in the Lord Jesus as God's promised Messiah, as his anointed king. 
And the most central and, and clear portrayal of his sovereign, God's sovereign victory in eternal reign of God's kingdom seen in Daniel is through this messianic figure in chapter 7 where Daniel sees one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and being seated with the ancient of days on the heavenly throne and being given dominion and glory and a kingdom over his people from all nations and languages. And this, this human divine figure stands before God in heaven and on behalf of, of God's suffering people to receive and reign over God's everlasting kingdom. And it's this term, the Son of Man, that Jesus himself uses in the Gospels exclusively as his chosen self-designation. Over 80 times it's used by Jesus or, or by someone quoting him to refer to himself, the Son of Man. As author Peter Lewis notes in his book on the glory of Christ, he says this title understood against the background of the various Old Testament uses would be used to integrate all the main elements of Jesus' character and his mission. His suffering and his glory, his earthly work and his heavenly destiny, his own destiny and that of his people. If a central theme in Daniel is God's faithfulness to bring glory through suffering, to bring deliverance through judgment, to bring vindication and dominion through what appears to be humiliation and defeat for his people, then Jesus uses the term, Jesus' use of the term, son of man for himself, puts his person and his purpose squarely at the center of that reality. The Son of Man came to to receive and restore the kingdom of God, to redeem and deliver the people of God, and to overthrow and defeat the enemies of God. But what we find in Jesus' coming is that he does it in a way not necessarily expected by those who were looking and longing for his arrival. He does not initially come on the clouds of heaven as a righteous judge and a conquering king, though he is both of those things. He comes initially in the womb of a young virgin. He comes as a suffering servant, as a savior, being sent by his heavenly father into the world to fulfill his covenant promises and to accomplish his salvation for his people through his own humiliation and sacrifice. Jesus not only takes upon himself the title Son of Man with a particular reference to to Daniel's vision at times, but he embodies the meaning and he embraces the mission that stands behind it. And so today and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at several significant elements of that that meaning and that mission as it relates to Jesus, beginning with his statement that we read earlier in Luke 19 in his encounter with Zacchaeus, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to earth as the divine Son of Man with a central mission. To bring salvation for his people. Not primarily salvation from their earthly enemies, though it would include that, but from the control and the consequences of their sin, both in their relationship with God and with its impact 
in this world and on his kingdom. And that's what we see in this very first chapter of the New Testament. In Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, where, where just as he did in Daniel's vision, God sends an angel of the Lord to appear to, to Joseph now in a dream and to reveal to him in the most unexpected of ways his plan and his purpose for sending his son into the world to save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to save. Matthew records for us this familiar story of Jesus' birth, and he does it from Joseph's standpoint. Joseph was engaged to be married to a a young woman, Mary, who, before they had, had consummated their marriage, was found to be pregnant. And they both know that Joseph is not the father. And you can imagine this news comes as quite a shock to him. And it would be quite a scandal among others when they found out. It's hard to imagine the, the range of emotions that Joseph must have felt. Humiliation, disappointment, anger, betrayal, sorrow. But Joseph loved Mary. But this was a deal breaker. And so in an attempt to hold in delicate tension both, the, both being just and being merciful, Joseph seeks to end their betrothal quietly. But again, God intervenes and he reveals to him in a dream what is really going on. Telling him, again as he does when he appears so many times, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to to take Mary as your wife. For her child, he says, is of supernatural origin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then the angel tells Joseph that this child will be a son And he gives him instructions as to what he is to name him. You will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The emphasis there is first of all on who it is that will save. The force of the Greek is that that this child to be born, he and he alone, this one conceived by the Holy Spirit and, and born of Mary, this one whom you are to name Jesus, He will save. Jesus was a common enough name in that time, but it is one that is filled with significance, particularly in this instant. It comes from the Hebrew, Yeshua, or Joshua, and it means the Lord, Yahweh, saves. He is salvation. Jesus' very identity is bound up in the name that is above every name. He is Savior. But what makes Jesus uniquely qualified to accomplish God's salvation? Why is this child different from any others whom God has used throughout history as a, as a rescuer, as a deliverer among his people? Well, Matthew goes on to make another connection to God's prophetic promises. Saying all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is not just a Savior. He is the Savior. Because he is truly the Son of God. He is indeed God with us. Amongst us. 
And this is seen again in the, in the manner of his conception as we, as we profess in the, in the creeds and, and particularly the one we just spoke. He was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was incarnate uh, as man born of the Virgin Mary. Matthew is very clear to point out that Jesus was, was not the, the physical offspring of Joseph and Mary's union. Joseph is referred to earlier in Matthew's genealogy as the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. We're told that she became pregnant before they had, had come together as husband and wife. And then at the end of this passage, which we're looking at, Matthew reiterates that Joseph knew her not. Biblical term for abstaining from sexual relations until the baby was born. Over in Luke's gospel, the angel gets more specific with Mary who asks the obvious question when she's told that she will bear a son. She says, how can this be? This is impossible. I'm a virgin. And the angel answers her saying, this will happen by the power of God through his Holy Spirit. And he explains to her, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. You see, the virgin birth of Jesus is not just an amazing story. It's a necessary reality. It's an essential truth to the fact that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He truly is God with us. Jesus came as the promised son of Abraham in the line of his forefather David. He came as the seed of the woman whom God said in the garden would crush Satan's head. But in order to do that, he could not bear the sin nature of his forefathers passed down from generation to generation since Adam. He had to be perfect, holy. And there is only one who is perfectly holy, God himself. So Jesus Jesus comes as the righteous one, the holy one, untainted by the sin of his forefathers and revealing to mankind the nature and the glory of God himself. The reality of Jesus as God with us is also revealed in his fulfillment of the prophecies. Prophecies like the ones we've seen in the book of Daniel. If you like mystery stories, you know that in the the early chapters, things are not always clear. We're intrigued by the the storyline early on and we're drawn in, trying to figure out how it will all fit together. But knowing that in the end, it will come together in a way that will, will solve the mystery. Well, the storyline of the Bible is one in which which man repeatedly attempts to put himself in the place of God. From the very beginning, it's a story of of attempted rebellion of creature against creator, a, a coup against the mighty God by his sinful subjects. And yet, throughout the story, God continues to be faithful to his people. He continues to, to show his justice bringing judgment upon sin, as well as His mercy, being faithful to His promise to redeem His people. And as the story unfolds, God continues to reveal Himself more and more to the point, and to the point, to point to the story coming together in a way that remains a mystery until it comes together here in the person of Jesus Christ. And suddenly the promises of God to deliver his people, to forgive their sin, to establish his kingdom, to rule in righteousness for eternity, to change their hearts and give them true life, promises prophesied throughout the history of his people, they all come together 
in the birth of this child, born to Mary, Son of God and Son of Man. The only way for us to truly know God is for God to put himself in the place for us to meet him. And so he comes down as a man, which is why Jesus had to be born of a woman. Having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he is fully God and fully man. He is divine and he is human. He is God with us. So think about that for a minute. God with us. We say it all the time. <laughs> it's something that we, 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 we hold to be true, but do we really think about what that means? Jesus came as God in human form, God incarnate, the Word made flesh. And it's not an option for Him to be just one or the other. He is fully both. And this reality is essential to the reason He came to earth. To save, to rescue, to free His people from the control and the consequences of sin. And indeed, Jesus' ministry was uniquely focused on this mission. To seek and to save. To call not the righteous, as he said, but sinners. And we see it in Jesus' ministry. We see it in his own claim as the Son of Man to have authority to forgive sins. An authority and, and power that is demonstrated in his, his dealing with the visible, the visible effects of sin and healing the sick and casting out evil spirits and receiving those who were rejected and marginalized in society. We see it in his encounter with Zacchaeus, which we read earlier. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. If you had asked one of his fellow Jews, they would say, he is a chief sinner. <laughs> he was considered a traitor. He was one who was part of a, a corrupt and unjust system. In service to an oppressive regime, he made himself rich, which he was, by overcharging taxes. By skimming his share and a bit of the share of, of other tax collectors under his authority off the top for his own personal gain. He became rich by defrauding others, often the poor. And so you can imagine how as he tries to maneuver in this crowd as Jesus is walking into the city of uh, Jericho and he's trying to get a glimpse of this one who he's heard about. You can imagine as he's, as he's moving in there, the crowds in front of him, closing ranks and shutting him out. <laughs> Let's not let this little rat get a glimpse of anything. He has heard us and now this is our chance. Zacchaeus is not the only sinner in that crowd by far. But he is the one whom Jesus seeks out in the crowd. And as this little man finds himself up in a tree trying to just get a glimpse to see who this, who this Jesus really is, Jesus pauses beneath the tree and he looks up and he calls his name. Zacchaeus. Now, we don't know all the background of the story, but I imagine that that right there might have threatened to knock Zacchaeus right out of the tree. <laughs> Jesus knows and calls his name as he's walking by. And then he says to him, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm coming to stay at your house. 
today? How would you respond to such a command? Jesus looks at you and he says, Warren, Matt, Julie, I'm coming to your house to stay today. Would you be excited? Would you be afraid? Probably a bit of both. But the shocking thing to folks there, particularly the religious leaders, was not that that Zacchaeus came down and welcomed Jesus into his home, but that Jesus gladly goes in as a guest of this sinner. And because he does, something happens. Something happens. Zacchaeus is changed. We aren't given details. We only see results. What happens on the inside in, in Zacchaeus' heart as a result of Jesus' presence is visibly manifested on the outside in his actions of returning to the poor and those he's defrauded. Not just what he's taken, but four times what he's taken. And this prompts Jesus to declare, today salvation has come to this house. Since this man who, who, whom you fellow Jews have said is, is an outcast is truly a son of Abraham. In other words, he truly belongs to the family and the household of God's covenant people. See, where Jesus comes, salvation comes. And the result is not only restored relationship with God, but transformed relationships with those around us. Jesus' Jesus's salvation not only affected the heart, but it changed the life of Zacchaeus. And it would have a distinct impact as a result on the mess that sin brings into a world filled with sinners just like Zacchaeus. What happens in the heavens and in the heart has practical impact in the world and on our lives. And brothers and sisters, we still live in a messy world. We live in a world filled with oppression, filled with violence, filled with pain, filled with sickness, filled with anger and disappointment and death. And at the root of all those things is the, is the very reality of sin, of man's sin, of our sin. And Jesus forces us to come to grips with that reality that we are both contributors as well as recipients of the mess that sin brings in this world. The many things in this world that we want to be saved from are ultimately the result of the inclination of man's own heart, which is because of sin, wicked and evil and in rebellion against God. Once in a response to a question that was put out by the paper in London that asked, what is wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton wrote back with this reply, Dear Sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. 
Most of us can think of a long list of things we want and even need to be saved from, but too often we don't go so far as to see the, down to the root cause, to the ultimate cause and threat, which is sin, our own sin and the sin of others. And we sin because we are by nature sinners. And since we are by nature sinners, we need a Savior, not just from the effects of sin around us, but from the power of sin in us. And because we are sinners, we cannot save ourselves. We need someone else. We need someone from the outside, someone who does not bear the burden and sentence of his own sin to come into the situation and save us. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save lost sinners. Can you think of a better candidate than Jesus? Not your job. It won't save you. Not your bank account. It won't save you. Your good deeds will not save you. Your education, your popularity, your health, your friendships, your family, your church will not save you. He and He alone will save His people from their sins. God with us, who lived a perfect life, who was tempted in every way, just like we are, in his full humanity, but never fell to that temptation. The one who voluntarily enters into suffering and pain and takes upon himself our sin, the sin of the the world on the cross in our place, saves us. And in His resurrection, we are given freedom. We are are given life. We are reconciled and reunited with our Heavenly Father as His children. And that change radically, radically transforms how we live in relationship to one another and to the world. It changes how we see things. It changes how we respond to things. Sin has not just broken our fellowship with God, but it impacts everything we do and everything others do. And when Jesus' salvation comes into our hearts and into our homes, there is hope and for change and transformation, not just for eternity in some time in the future, but also in the here and the now as we journey as sinners among sinners to that place in time where all will be made right. And for that to happen, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. If we seek salvation from any other than Jesus, we will only be dragged down and we will drag others down with us in our sin. Jesus and only Jesus will save His people from their sins. He is God with us. He is the Son of Man who takes on the nature of a servant, who who becomes like us in every way and then takes the penalty for our sin upon himself on the cross. Jesus came to save his people from their sin, to save you and me from our sin. Salvation is both personal and it is corporate. Jesus, yes, justifies each one of us before a holy and righteous God 
And he also sanctifies us by putting us in community together as his people to live out that righteousness in relationship to one another and in relationship to a sinful and broken world. Jesus was born to save, and as the Son of Man, he is seeking and saving to the uttermost his lost and scattered people, calling them by name, calling you by name, gathering them into his kingdom, working in them to bring his salvation and restore his righteousness to the ends of the earth until all things are finally and fully brought under his dominion forever. The one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven that Daniel saw in his vision is the one born to the Virgin Mary by the power of God's Spirit and named Jesus because he has come to save his people from their sins. And he saves sinners like Zacchaeus, chief tax collector and outcast among society. Sinners like the Apostle Paul who would write to Timothy one up on Zacchaeus and say, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Sinners like you and like me. Who in countless ways, some that we know all too well and others that we may not even recognize, transgress God's law. Prostrate ourselves to the to the false idols and pleasures of this world. Hurt and harm others either directly with our words or actions or, or indirectly by our silence and inaction or who ourselves live either, either directly or indirectly with the pain and consequences of the sin of others. And Jesus came to save, to rescue. And he is even now doing his saving work in calling sinners to himself and bringing salvation and hope to his people. Maybe you're here this morning like Zacchaeus. You just want to get a glimpse to see who Jesus is and if the things you've heard about him are true. Friend, you don't need to push your way through the crowd. Or climb a tree or do anything to make yourself more presentable or more noticeable by him. His name is Jesus. And he will save you from your sin. He is the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. And and there are some of us here who feel lost right now. There are some of you here who are lost. And he is seeking. And he is calling you even now. Come, come to me, receive him and welcome him by faith and with joy as one who has borne the weight and burden of all your sin on the cross, who has removed all your guilt and shame before God, who will redeem and restore every broken place that sin has affected and impacted your life and the world and who is coming again with the clouds of heaven to judge all unrighteousness and to make all things new in his glorious kingdom for his people. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. And if you're willing to recognize that you fall into that category and to admit your need for a Savior, he says, 
I will save you. I have saved you. And you will find rest for your soul in me. He saves us from our sin by removing our guilt, by forgiving our transgressions, by making us righteous before the Lord. And He will save you from the sins of others by removing your shame and bringing judgment and vindication upon all evil and wrong. And He will save you from living, having to live in bondage to sin, but will free you to bear the fruit of righteousness and salvation in how you live by His grace, according to His truth, in His mercy, with His compassion, overflowing in generosity, upholding justice in this world as we remain alert, as we await the final coming of the Son of Man to receive and establish His justice and His righteousness and His joyful reign over all things for eternity. And so during this Advent season, let's look again with hope to the good news that was shown to Daniel in his vision, that was brought to Joseph and Mary by the angel, that we have seen fulfilled in the birth and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, who came to seek and to save you from your sin. Let's pray together. Gracious God, how needy we are of your salvation. We see it in our own hearts. We see it in the impact of sin on our lives and in the world around us. We see it, oh God, revealed to us in your word and in your world in a way that shows us very clearly we need a Savior. And Father, we thank you and praise you that you are our Savior. Lord Jesus, that you came down and humbled yourself and took on our nature, that we might know our God, that we might know His salvation, that we might know His rule and reign in our lives in a way that manifests Your kingdom here on earth. And so, Lord, I pray that You would work that in every single person here. For those who don't know You, Father, Call them to yourself even now. Enter in to their heart and their household by your spirit in a manner that brings your salvation to bear. And Lord, for those of us who joyfully know that salvation, Father, would you continue to work it in us to change us, to transform us, in a manner that we live according to that truth. Renew in us, O oh God, 
the joy of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.